in Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, it's, um, he writes that they are to sing hymns of praise over one another. I think it's so cool when we're worshiping um, to music and we're embodied in the same room together and we are singing over one another. And we just have those moments where we remember that this is not a come and watch or a come and see or a come and sing along. It's a come and sing over. So thank you for being in this space and for singing hymns of praise over me. I, I am just so grateful that we get to do this each and every week. Now, um, there's a really good documentary on Disney+. Plus. Uh, you might have seen it. It's called Waking Sleeping Beauty. Has anybody seen that one? Yeah, it's, it's really good. If you haven't seen it, it's really good. Uh, so it's called Waking Sleeping Beauty, and it tells the story of the golden age period of Disney animation that's often referred to as the Disney Renaissance. So it started in 19, uh, 1989 with The Little Mermaid and went all the way through 1999 with Tarzan. Now, this time uh, it was a period where there were so many of the stories that we call pure Disney magic, included like Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, like those are all in this uh, period. And now this time period, it was really meaningful for me personally because that's when I was a kid. And so as each and every one of them came out on VHS, we'd get it and we'd watch the same movies over and over and over again. Or as each new one came out into theaters when I was old enough to do that and not flop on the floor, uh, then I would go and we'd watch those ones. And then my mom would even take us to McDonald's to get Happy Meals. And uh, the toys that came along with some of these movies were just phenomenal. I mean, that the Tarzan when Tarzan came out in '99, I was like eight, and uh, and I was so excited for these toys because each one you put together to make a plastic treehouse. It was just so generous of Disney and McDonald's to partner together to give me the opportunity to go back like 15 times to get all the components for for that. Now I'm not going to analyze the last decade of Disney films right now, but I look back at that period that Disney Renaissance is like the good old days for me. I remember the way that I felt is year after year, my family uh, would go to the theaters and Disney would always pop out like a guaranteed instant classic. I would go to Disneyland excited to meet the newest characters and see them in shows and parades. It was super exciting for me. And I now look back at that as a really sweet part of my childhood, which is kind of cool. Now, when we're talking about a golden age, a golden age, as you're probably aware of, is a period of time where something that you care about is it like its absolute pinnacle of awesomeness and wonder? Um, it could be anything from like your favorite sports team when they are just having a winning streak and you're for years on end. You're like, oh, this is this is it. Like this is the golden age for them. Um, it could be something that's as simple as like a trend that you like, whether it's in fashion or food or decor or music. And you just think, oh, it just can't get better than this. Unfortunately, we call them golden ages because they're an age. They don't last forever. They eventually pass into the past. As your team loses major players, as trends shift, or as less than stellar Disney movies come out. And so the golden age turns into the good old days. Some other time from the past where things were better, where they were more awesome, where they were golden. Now, put a pin in that, like hold on to that for a second. Bring that to the series we've been in. So if you are new to the game with us, we've been in the midst of a series that we were calling Homecoming. It's been our Lenten season, and we've been looking at the incredible ways that God's presence continues to draw near to humanity in the midst of our human rebellion. 
we looked at the ancient examples of God's nearness, pursuing humanity in the midst of the rebellion in the garden, pursuing humanity through the tabernacle, which is like God's tent dwelling, which moved with the Israelites throughout the wilderness when they were on the move. Eventually, the Israelites would set down roots in the promised land, and he would pursue humanity with this dwelling place in a permanent temple in the center of Jerusalem. And each of these are just the next step as God continues to bring home closer and closer to humanity, coming to an incredible point with the arrival of King Jesus on the scene, who is the presence of God in the flesh to pursue a rebellious humanity. Incredible, right? So each week we have kind of explored all of these incredible spaces and time where God's intimate nearness is with humanity, despite our humanity. But now let's take a second and think about this. What it would be like if God revealed himself in those same ways today that he did back then. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, imagine, imagine if when you sinned against God and you started doing things your own way, that God himself came and pursued you and like audibly called you and was like, hey, where did you go? Come back the way that he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. Imagine if when you struggle to feel that God is truly good, you could pull up online a live stream of the tabernacle moving around in the desert. And you're like, whoa, the tabernacle. And you know it's the tabernacle because above it, there's a, pot, a, a, a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. That'd be pretty cool, right? You'd like remember that God is truly with us or otherwise something really strange happened in the desert, right? How about if you're struggling to accept that God is truly powerful and then you could get on a plane, travel to Jerusalem, go to the temple, and at the temple you could go into the, the court that, uh, that allows for foreigners, for outsiders like many of us who are of not Jewish, Jewish ethnicity, we could go and still be near to the powerful presence of God. That would be cool. Now think about this. If you ever have doubts or skepticism if God is even real, you could just pull up your phone, go to TikTok, and pull up the latest vids of Jesus, this rabbi who's performing miracles, who's teaching, who's executing justice and displaying unfathomable kindness. Think then you would struggle with understanding if God's real? That would be cool, right? Like we would look at that and go, All right. Bible's true. <laughs> I mean, there must, those must have been the good old days though, right? Some other time, some other place, long before we existed. Now, whether you follow Jesus or not, we all have struggles and doubts. But for those of us who do follow Jesus, we can easily feel like back in the my mystical land of the past. This, this wonderful, beautiful place where things like phrases are used like new Disney classic lives. Or uh, you also find phrases there like low housing costs. Like that, like that land of the past is awesome, right? Where nobody had ever heard of social media. I mean, that kind of place where you're like, yes, the past was awesome. In that magical land are all the wonders that I wish we could live in today. But when it comes to God's presence, what if the golden age is not found in the good old days? What if when it comes to God's presence with humanity, it's not living in the past, but actually it's living in the midst of right now, 
in this room tonight. Does that sound unlikely to you? So we're going to be hanging out in 1 Peter chapter 2 tonight. And so 1 Peter chapter 2 is written by a guy named Peter, who is one of Jesus' closest friends. He was a leader in the early Jesus movement. And he wrote this letter to the people that were known as the people of the diaspora, and which was a, a word that meant the scattering of Israelites over the nations because of exile and persecution. Now at this time, word was spreading to these men and women who had, who had not been to Israel maybe ever in their entire lives that they long awaited Messiah, the one that they had read about in the Torah, Jesus had come to the earth. And so, so many of them began to put their belief and their hope and their faith in Jesus. And they became a part of the Jesus movement and these local house churches. So to them, Peter writes this letter. Now, these were men and women who knew the scriptures very well. They were familiar with each of these times and spaces when God's presence dwelt in nearness with his people. They grew up hearing the stories of the garden, the tabernacle, the temple, places of God's nearness in the midst of their continual rebellion. They knew the good old days very well. And so to them, Peter writes this. Verse 4, chapter 2. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter is clearly assuming a particular kind of nearness at this point in the story. This access that allows you to come near to him. Now, this is a game-changing concept because before Jesus, God's awesome presence was always kept behind a veil. The Israelites knew this well. The Jewish people understood that there was a separation because of sin between humanity and God. And God wanted to get close, but he couldn't get too close because otherwise we would be incinerated. And then Jesus arrives on the scene. And he's God in the flesh. He is touchable. He is hearable. He is eating with people, he is crying with people, he is laughing with people, he is fishing with people, he is talking with people. Then before you know it, Jesus isn't hanging around on the earth any longer. He's gone. He's ascended into the heavens. And so most of these hearers of this letter wouldn't have ever even been in the same nation as Jesus, let alone ever actually been in the room when he was preaching a sermon. 
Now think about that. These people would have known all about the, the golden ages of the old days, right? And then they hear that the Messiah came and he's gone too. We missed it. You know, like, oh, oh good. Like that was it. No, that's not what Peter's talking about here. What he is saying is that because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, each of these believers now have access to God's nearness. We know this because he says this, that Jesus is the living stone. He is the cornerstone. Now a cornerstone, we've talked about this before, but it's a foundation stone that was laid to begin the building out and the guidance for the rest of the foundation for any structure or um, building that was going to be built. Now others rejected it. Others saw this cornerstone and rejected him. They tried to throw him into a pile of other broken stones rather than for he, seeing him for who he truly was. But while the people didn't choose him, the father did. And so he is the chosen precious cornerstone. But what is he the cornerstone of? What structure is he the first stone laid to craft? Peter says he, it's a spiritual house meant for a holy priesthood. It's a place where spiritual sacrifices are meant to be offered. Now, can any of you tell me of any ancient Jewish structures that this audience's imagination would have went to when you are hearing things like uh, priesthood and sacrifices? And I'll give you a hint. It rhymes with the word dimple. Can anyone say that word? It's a temple. Thank you. Yeah, the temple. Exactly. The place of God's presence with humanity. I mean, again, like it's harkening back to like hashtag golden age, right? But then we discovered that the temple was just the next step to a greater experience of God's nearness. Jesus. Jesus. I mean, for sure, when Jesus is on the scene, that's the golden age, right? But then you have what we talked walked through last week, that Jesus makes this outlandish claim that it was to his followers' benefit for him to not stick around. That if he were not to depart, then the, the helper, the guide, the Spirit of God wouldn't arrive on the scene. That he says that it's better to have the Spirit inside of you than Jesus beside you. To say it another way, Jesus understood that he was simply the next step closer and closer to the physical presence of God, fully enrapturing the world around us. Jesus isn't the golden age, according to Jesus. We need the Spirit. Now, that sounds fantastical and um, unbelievable. That the Spirit dwelling within each of God's adopted sons and daughters would be an even closer experience of His presence than Jesus hanging out right next to you. Would you say yes to that? No, like I... Like we watch shows like The Chosen and we're like, I want to hang out with Jesus. How often have you watched a show like The Chosen and been like, but it's even better to have the Holy Spirit in me. You know, like we were like, no, I want, I want like him hanging out with me. I but Jesus said, no, it's better this way. You see, Jesus is simply the cornerstone of this new temple that's being built up. He's the first resurrected living stone. The one who has come to resurrect other dead stones back to life. Now, our tendency in our individualistic culture is to think in terms of our, our lone wolf lives, right? This concept of like, you do you, like you do your thing, I do my thing. 
Let's just not interfere with it. And you don't get to call me out. I don't get to call you out. Let's just do our thing. Now, we, we have that and we see that prevalent in our culture around us. But then when it comes to the way that we believe that we are called to interact with God, we use that exact same mindset. And so we look at a concept like the spirit of, the spirit of God desires to dwell within us. And we think absolutely true, which means I don't need anybody else. Nobody gets to call me out on anything. I, I know who my authority is. It's the spirit. He gets to call me out. But anyone else, I'm not really going to to go that deep with anyone else. I'm not going to give permission for that with anyone else. But you see, in this passage, we discover that God's desire was not simply to save a you. He wasn't trying to just save a bunch of individuals. And we're going to come back to this, but you see, we are called to be built up together into this new spiritual home to come together as a new holy priesthood, to offer a new type of spiritual sacrifice. There's a word in Greek that's used for this new spiritual home. Jesus calls it the ecclesia, literally translates into the gathering, the gathering of living stones. This gathering, this spiritual home is as one author refers to it, he calls it the most beautiful place. This spiritual home, we know today as the church. Now, it's not a biblical overstatement to say that the church is the next step of God's presence moving toward humanity. Think about that. The most beautiful place is God desiring to bring home to us. This most beautiful place is not a building, though, that's made of concrete or bricks or wood or stone. It's a gathering of Jesus' followers that span the centuries, cultures, and the globe. Oftentimes, we refer to it as something like the Capital C Church, otherwise known as the Historic Global Church. And here's where you and I come into the story, though. This historic global church is built of countless local churches, unique, contextualized, holding firm to the core teachings of the gospel in the way of Jesus throughout the ages. Now, here's what's absolutely outlandish about this, though. There are currently more people who are a part of this historic global church who are not on earth than who are on earth. We have for the last two thousand years have had brothers and sisters in the family of God, other living stones who have went to be with the Father. It's what Hebrews 12 explains is the great cloud of witnesses. Now we might be thinking, all right, all this stuff about the church, that sounds theoretically awesome, but but I've been around the church for a while and I've seen what happens in the media and the church is sometimes quite awful. So how can the church today possibly be better than Jesus walking, walking with me, doing the impossible daily? And if that's you, you would be right in thinking that the church is far less than perfect. It is. Absolutely. I mean, even the best versions of the church throughout the last 2000 years and around the globe today is both filled with the light of the spirit of God and the darkness of human sinfulness. Just like you and me, because it's made up of you and me. And so it's hard to believe what this passage is trying to say is good or even true. But for all the imperfections, God has declared this this spiritual home that spans the centuries from the early days of the Jesus movement all the way to this gathering that you are sitting in right now. He says that this is the extension of this new spiritual home. 
We are living stones being built up together. See, God's presence no longer resides in a physical building. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm thankful that we lease this space, that we have a consistent space, um, that we're not doing a ton of setup and teardown, as those who were around in the early days experienced. It's a lot of work. Um, that we have a consistent physical location for us to gather. It's great. But if we were no longer able to gather in this physical building for whatever reason, we would still be this most beautiful place. Just as other spiritual homes gather each and every week in houses, in forests, in storefronts, in coffee shops, in basements, in barns, in buildings smaller than this, in buildings larger than this. No matter what, we would still be this new spiritual home as long as we are holding fast to the truths of the gospel. Now, why does this matter? What does this mean for you? Me. Because God's presence is not contained in a building. It's contained in a people. We are God's presence in the world. If you are a follower of Jesus, don't miss that. And how incredible and how weighty that might make you feel. We are God's presence to the world. For all those who follow Rabbi Jesus, who are under the lordship of King Jesus, who have put their faith in Savior Jesus, you are a living stone assembled together with other followers of Jesus into this new living temple. Just as God was present walking with humanity in the garden in the midst of the rebellion, just as God was present on the move through the tabernacle in the midst of their wandering, just as God was present in permanence with the nation of Israel in the temple, just as God was present taking on flesh as the Son of God wrapped his glory, God is now present in us, the church, by filling us with his own spirit. Why would you just say it's better to have the spirit of God than to have me right in front of you? Because Jesus, Jesus, while he is the ultimate, he is the cosmic creator of everything. He, in the flesh, only has one physical body. He doesn't do a multiplication trick. The spirit of God goes with every single one of his believers. Every single one of us who know and love and follow after him, we have been filled with the spirit of God given the same spirit that dwelled within Christ to go and to love people in insane ways. Each of these iterations of his presence were just the next step of God's permanent presence coming nearer and nearer. And we are now that next step. See, the golden age doesn't reside in the good old days. It currently resides here tonight with us, in us. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. And if you struggle to believe that you matter, that the good news of the gospel isn't for you, now that you absolutely matter and the gospel is absolutely meant to transform you from the inside out, but it's not meant, none of this is meant to call you into further journeys on your lone wolf existence but that you can move from a place of thinking of the one person that you are into thinking about the new people that we are together. You are a part of a family of living stones and as living stones as God's nearness in the world. We can both experience and demonstrate his presence as we gather to be built up by one another and 
as we scatter to be his presence with those who are far from him. Examine for a second. Look at your own inner life. Think about the church. Think about the world we live in. Do you think that we live in bodies, in churches, and in an entire world that is in desperate need of God's presence? See, when we gather, we get to sit and be built up, reminded of our truest identity from one another. We reminded and informed of our belovedness from one another. And then we get to sense God's presence in one another. And then we get to be reminded of how we as a people are called to live, to think, to believe, to be transformed. So we gather, and it's vitally important that we gather. But we gather for an hour or so each week, and then we scatter. And we scatter into the other 157 hours or so of the rest of our weeks. And in that space, we get to experience and bring God's nearness to the world around us. Affecting everything. I mean, there is no part of your life in public or in private, in your words or your actions or your thoughts. Everything is on the table. Nothing we get to hold back from his presence because his presence goes with us. That means he has the rights to everything. And if you know and love Jesus, then you are a part of this new spiritual home, this temple of living stones. This is who we are together. And not just those of us who are gathered in this room tonight, but local churches from all types, a variety of denominations and expressions throughout the centuries and across the globe, each uniquely called to expand God's presence to the world around them. Each meant to tell the story that not of humanity's awesomeness, but God's continual pursuit of us, no matter what. So today, we celebrate 20 years of gathering together as a local church, Mosaic Church. If you're not aware, this is one of the two campus locations of Mosaic Church. This is Mosaic at Walt Disney World, WDW. And then if you head down 535 a while, um, you'll eventually land in Winter Garden. And so currently, these are the two locations we, we meet at. But these two buildings don't define who we are. See, the dream of this local church, this outpost of God's nearness in Central Florida, began over two decades ago, in 2001. In 2001, my friends, Brooke and Renaud Vanderit, believed that God was calling them to the world of church planning. And so they began to prayerfully consider what God might be calling them into as far as creating this outpost of God's presence where? And so a major thing that came to Renault's heart and mind was the thought of the impact that Disney has on the culture around us. And so he thought about all the countless storytellers who bring Disney to life in both the parks and in the studios, and it just like fueled his heart. And so that with some other realities all in play together began to draw them from California all the way to here to central Florida. And so they began to create partnerships and support networks to launch this new Jesus community. And so this included gifts, both large and small. It included a $10 a month donation from this older woman who was living in Virginia. And she committed to $10 a month. She didn't have a ton of disposable income, but yet she wanted to partner in God's movement in the life of this new community. 
And so with her faithfulness and the faithfulness of others, Mosaic Church was able to launch in 2003. And so in 2003, we launched, back then we were known as Ocean Church, and on Easter Sunday in a gym filled with mirrors that was nowhere by the ocean, uh, we, uh, we gathered. And in that space, it was a gym with not a ton of people, and all the walls were covered in mirrors. And so it felt like there was probably more people in there. And we worshiped as a people. I wasn't there, but we were there. And in the early years that started in 2003 to 2006, Mosaic Church began not just as an organizational body, but as a relational biblical community that met around, most often around coffee tables, dinner tables, community pools, and workplaces as the people of God gathered to both worship and then to be fueled up in biblical community, sent out to live on mission throughout the various journeys that each person was walking. In other words, we launched as a community focused on both experiencing God's presence and carrying his presence wherever we went. Now, this isn't to say that everything was easy back then. It's never that easy. Uh, after a few years in, finances were tight. Gathering spaces were super inconsistent. Uh, Renaud had mentioned to me this week that um, back then, uh, that we would literally meet week to week in various different locations around the area because we went wherever there was an open door to, to meet in. And so like the, the tagline that kind of went with it was something to the effect of, um, if you can find us, you can join us. So that's kind of cute. Now, and so this led to a lot of discouragement for Renault and the core team at the time. It, they hadn't grown to a sustainable level. There's kind of like a um, an amount of people that makes a community for all the volunteers and from a financial standpoint to make it like sustainable. And they weren't there. And so Renault goes to the mail and gets a $10 check in the mail from that same woman in Virginia. And at first hit with kind of discouragement, like this is the best I can do is scrounge up $10 a month from this woman in Virginia. But then God immediately convicted him towards that end, reminding him that, well, if this is based on you, this was never going to work anyway. And then that $10 became a reminder that none of us build this living temple. We don't expand God's presence on our own efforts, wisdom, or talent. Now, sure, you can theoretically, if you are charismatic and talented enough and you can get the right people together and you can get major donors, you can build big buildings and do big things in that way. So you can do things on wisdom, on your own efforts and your own talent. The only problem is, what the psalmist says in Psalm 127, if the Lord does not build the house, the builder labors in vain. We want to be where the Spirit of God is moving. And whatever that looks like, whether it is big or small, and if the church desires to be an outpost for God's presence, to expand His presence, then God is the only one who has the authority to call the shots. And that $10 check became the sweet and simple reminder of that reality that God calls the shots not any of us. It's not about what we can do or what we can muster up. Now in 2006, Mosaic Church still had very little funds in the bank, but a permanent location became available, which would kind of put into that whole like find us in like hide and go seek approach to church. The only problem is that it was going to require a million dollars in cash immediately to make it happen. We didn't have a million dollars in the bank at the time, but then God stepped in with a million dollar check from a family who didn't even attend Mosaic at the time. Now, 
$10, a million dollars. It's a one followed by some zeros. And God's not impressed by the dollar amount that we can write on a piece of paper. He's just not. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Like if the cosmos is his, we don't impress him. But he does desire to be present with his people. Instead, he wants to remind us daily that it's not about us. It's not about what we can muster up. It's not about our abilities or talents or wealth. It's about God's nearness drawing near to redeem unredeemed spaces. And so that allowed us to move into that building that was in Oakland. And in that community, in that space, we really began to live into that phrase, redeeming unredeemed spaces. It wasn't just like a nice, cute thing that we could throw on t-shirts. It became the genesis of this call to go partner with Jesus to see his presence expand in our community. And so in that space, there were countless stories of broken marriages, addiction, skepticism, all being redeemed as God was near through his people. It was also in that building that we began our sermon series that has lasted for the last 15 years so far. It's called The Journey. And when we began, this was a a slow crawl through the scriptures all the way from Genesis through the Old Testament, through the gospel accounts, and all the way through the letters where we're at today. In fact, in two weeks' time, we will continue the journey series diving into 2 Peter. And if this is your first time with us, you should know if you hang around us for a while, you're going to notice something, that we move very slowly through the scriptures. Very slowly. Because we believe God's word is powerful, it's active, and it is the authority of his word. And we don't want to miss a single part of it. And so that became a core part of who we were as a body. And then in 2010, in 2010, we, we began expanding on mission. And one of those spaces, going back to the original reason why we came to Central, why we were planted in Central Florida, had to do with Disney. And so my friends, Brady, who was an aspiring pastor at the time, and my other friend, Jen, who was working in entertainment at Walt Disney World at the time, both became a part of Mosaic. And they began to dream about this dream that Renault had given to him, or God had given to Renault years before, about reaching Walt Disney World cast members of the gospel with this intentional contextualized ministry space. They didn't even know what it was going to look like, but they knew they wanted in on what God was already up to. And so over the course of the next two years, this led to the launching of our specific biblical community, Mosaic and WW. We launched on February 12th, 2012. Our first building wasn't a gym. It was Brady Engine's um, living room. And so we launched. Now I keep using we, but I didn't even come into the story at all until August 2014. That was three years into the Disney campus journey, and it was 10 years into the Mosaic story. And I have personally been forever changed by this community. All the people sitting in this room and those who used to sit in this room and those, those who sat in the Holiday Inn before this. I was taught what it meant to live on mission, what it meant to experience all of life discipleship, what it meant to have intentional spaces of community and care, what it meant to grow, grow, grow deeper together. It was unlike anything I'd ever experienced in any church before. I never sensed that community faking being nice, but loving well in the midst of difficult situations and relationships. Caring in tangible ways for the hurting and those who are in desperate need. 
for cast members from all over the globe, from all walks of life, all different struggles, providing safe spaces for the vulnerable and those struggling with doubts and fears and frustrations, those who are burdened by the church of their past, those who are dealing with stigmas and difficulties. I will never be the same because of this community. If we close up shop tonight, my life is forever changed by y'all, by us. And so, fast forwarding to 2020, some stuff happened in 2020. We can move on. Um, we walked into a period that we could just like call force maturing or something. It was a season of testing. I mean, we, we all experience this normally, right? We're all waiting in the uncharted waters of every conceivable social and political issue just for it to all be given steroids uh, by COVID. And everything was like on fire. Now I'm mixing metaphors, but it was that bad that you could mix metaphors about that season, right? Now, God was not surprised by a single moment of it. I'm sure of that. But the rest of us were absolutely surprised by all of it, Right? And as a local church, we, ex we had experienced incredible measures of God's kindness and growth in a number of ways, redeeming unredeemed spaces like missionaries sent out from all around the world, all kinds of just cool, crazy stories. And because of the cool, crazy stories, that was where our focus was at, was redeeming unredeemed spaces. And what had festered internally, though, was unhealth from our staff and our leadership. And we had festered with unaddressed issues. We had forgotten to look inside to see what are the unredeemed spaces within us as an organization. And so that led to a brutal yet vital external audit that we commissioned on our organizational health. And the news was not exciting. It was really, really hard. But God was present even in that. Even as we stumbled forward, he was patient. <laughs> even as we fell, he picked us back up. And he led us towards great levels of systemic changes for our organization, as well as areas of personal growth for every single, every single leader of Mosaic Church, for all of our elders. Now, during this season, let me fill in a little bit about my struggle, because I don't know that I've done this with y'all very clearly. I struggle with the savior mentality. I think it's my job to fix every problem. And so I go after it. Now, I tried to save Mosaic. It wasn't my job to. That's above my pay grade to. Um, but I tried. And so I would work insane amount to try to plug in all the broken, all the holes and make everything fit together well. And that wasn't my job. And so I suffered because of that. And my family suffered a lot because of that. Because I've always struggled with my desire to do more, to work harder, to operate kind of like how Steve Rogers talks about in Endgame when he says like, like whatever it takes. And they're all like, whatever it takes, which is great if you have, if, if you have everything to just go for and like you're probably going to die either way. Like then it's okay to do whatever it takes kind of stuff. But, but like that's not what we are called to do as Christians. We are not called to do whatever it takes. We are called to live with God's presence leading us and guiding us towards holistic health with him to redeem unredeemed spaces with him. And I miss that completely. 
But even then, God's nearness showed up in my life through counseling and through the voice of Allie and a bunch of other wise mentors. And so I learned a ton in that season. See, that season's not something I would ever want to experience again, but I'm super grateful for it because it took me face-to-face with my desperate need of God's presence in my life. That I am called not to do more stuff for God, but to abide with Him, to stay attached with Him, to connect with Him. See, He reminds me that apart from Him, I can do nothing. Nothing. I desperately need Him which is good news because God does not need me. He doesn't need Brunel, you, any of us. In fact, the scriptures say that, that if we were to remain silent, the rocks would cry out. He can do this with or without us. And he has chosen his plan A is with us. See, he delights in inviting us into the story of expanding his presence throughout our world. And for 20 years, As a church, this is what we've been about. And for 11 years at the Disney campus, we have been able to witness so many lives transformed by the gospel, deep disciples made of Jesus, unredeemed spaces invaded by his presence. And by God's grace, this is only the beginning. Now I share all that because if you can't tell, Mosaic story is not one that makes much of us. The leaders are the people that make up Mosaic. It is a story that makes much of Jesus. As every gospel preaching local church is called to do. We are simply broken shards and we say, use us. We are simply living stones being built up into this new spiritual home, shouting the goodness of God to a watching world so that they could experience his nearest and be forever changed by it. The, go- the golden age of God's presence is not found in the good old days of the past. Are you getting this? It's found right here, right now. Look around to your left and your right. See the people in this room with you. This is what God's presence looks like today. Not not the people, but God's presence using and redeeming the people. See, God is closer to humanity now than any other point in the past. The golden age is to both experience and to participate as we gather and as we scatter. But I promise If you think you were created to simply come and watch as a spectator or as a consumer, then you are missing out on the wondrous invitation that we each have to step into God's story as we participate with him. Isn't that cool? God wants us to participate with him. That's our invitation. I want to invite the band to come on up. And I have a simple request for everyone in the room right now. I would love for you to just close your eyes and bow your head. And I want you to start taking slow, deep breaths. Nothing mystical. Just a reminder with each inhale and exhale that you can be slowed down, that your brain can be slowed down. We've covered a lot of ground tonight. And so to get our hearts and our minds into a place of receptivity. Because I want to inform you of God's invitation for each and every one of us. God's invitation for you is to participate as we gather and as we scatter. 
He's inviting you to participate as we gather up to build this spiritual home, as we serve alongside one another, as we joyfully give in generosity. He invites you. He's inviting you to participate as we scatter, that you and I get to carry his presence everywhere we go, into our homes, how Walt Disney World, wherever we work, with our friends and family. You are invited. Now, if you're here tonight and you're a part of another local church, maybe you're just visiting from out of town or you're just kind of checking out this whole Jesus thing. You're thinking, great, man. That's great that, that that's like a mosaic invitation. But that same invitation applies to you, whichever biblical community you currently or ever call your spiritual home. See, this isn't an invitation for mosaic, but for God's global spiritual home. Called to gather and scatter is God's presence to every tribe, tongue, people, ethnic group. If you are here and you follow Jesus, this is your invitation to experience his presence as we gather and to carry his presence as we scatter. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, and you came here wondering if God, if, if Christians knew how messed up they are, my simple answer is probably not enough. But by God's grace, we're not afraid to find out how much. Because for those of us who know and love and follow Jesus, the information that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior is not disheartening news because it reveals to us simply how much more we get to draw near to Jesus. But what I would wonder is that if that is you, if you, if you do not know Jesus, I wonder if Jesus would ask you simply, do you know how desperately you need him? What would you say? See, what's incredible about God is he is looking at us with a deeper understanding of our brokenness and sinfulness than you could dare imagine. But he meets us with his presence and his grace, inviting us into joy beyond anything we could possibly have dared to dream by what his son has done on our behalf through his death and resurrection. And so if that's you here tonight and you don't, if you don't know about this whole Jesus thing and, and you have questions or doubts or concerns, know that we desire to be a safe place for the journey. And so right now, I want to invite us to simply take a couple more deep breaths and I'd love to pray over us. No. Buddy. Father, you are bringing home to us this, this, this holy week as we finish out the season of Lent. We get to be reminded that this week is all about the, the, the depths, the weight, the power, the magnitude that it takes for you to come near, to bring a home near to us. And you did it without blinking the night. 
draw us near to you now, Lord. Wherever we're at, whatever our struggles, whatever local church we currently or ever call home, help us to see your presence in the midst of your people. To seek after you in the most beautiful place. The gathered of your living stones. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.